Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast coming at you. I hope that wherever you get this, you're listening to this, it's in your ear, that it finds you safe and well and doing as, you know, whatever the best you can is right now because shit is fucking crazy. I don't even know if that does it justice. And I don't usually swear so early in the podcast, at least not that I, not that I know of, not that I keep track of that. But it's a messed up what's happening right now. A lot of uncertainty. No one really knows what the fuck they're doing, what's happening or what the truth is. I just know that there's a whole lot of stuff going on and a whole lot of stuff doesn't make sense. And you know, you can usually tell the truth by the way it feels. That's why I don't usually feel like the truth comes out of politicians' mouths. I don't think I'm the only one in that. Um, when anyone is ever tied financially to anything, it's pretty hard to um, trust authentic truths. Um, I'm also fully aware, and I want to acknowledge this, that I could not be believing things purely because of the unconscious desire to not have uncertainty and to not acknowledge that there might be said pandemic going on. But I got to tell you, the more information I gather and the more I am pretty good at gathering information objectively and studying the science of all the things and not just taking what I'm told. Um, I really like to gather more information and, and make up my mind on my own, which if you've been listening the last couple episodes, that's what I've been really emphasizing is don't believe everything you're told because we get gaslit all the time, you know, and, and it is important that we are the curators of our own opinions, our own thoughts, our own beliefs. So, you know, today I am so blessed to have, gosh, someone that I have looked up to for years uh, for his writing and the way he communicates things and makes things seem that are so complex become more simple. And that is what I strive to do is to take these systems and these patterns and these feelings and these ways of being and make them make sense within myself and then share what I am understanding and, and navigating with you so that hopefully you can navigate this shit a little easier too and, and maybe not have to hit the same roadblocks that I've hit or that other people have hit by bringing them on here to interview them about okay, like what area, what was your rock bottom and what did you learn from it? Because that now becomes your area of mastery. And, you know, I've really thought about this a lot that if you have navigated your way out of some really challenging circumstances, which if you're a human, you've done that, you know, you have, because we face challenges from our youngest years and you're valid in all your experiences and you know, as you've navigated life and, and 
led yourself through things, you have to learn and become the teacher that you needed. And that's why sharing ourselves, sharing our stories, sharing who we are, pursuing our work that is passionately born from the pain that we've experienced. Because of course, once we learn to save ourselves, especially when the systems that we live within might not be able to save us. So you see this a lot when someone experiences uh, some form of autoimmune or um, they just have seemingly an unsolvable issue in their body and the medical system has not been able to support them for their specific experience. They then do, they go through the research of studying all the things and then they find that their answer was nutrition or therapy or exercise or all the things And maybe it was just a book or a Tony Robbins event or, you know, uh, this podcast. That would be awesome, too. That in that experience, when we source this information, when we we find our way, we then look and speak to old versions of us who seek to find their way, too. And I feel like it's just we're all a line of elephants, you know. And I don't mean that from a herd mentality, although... Sometimes a herd mentality. I mean it from the perspective of we are leading through our behaviors and our choices, and we are being led through other people's behaviors and choices that we're observing. And that's why who you choose to observe and study from and keep in your company is highly influential and impactful on the life you will live. You know that saying that you are the sum of the five closest people in your life, that they will mirror your values and your choices and your rituals and your addictions and your fears because we surround ourselves with people who validate our way of seeing the world. And that's why it's so great to always be in a room of people who think differently than you. You know what they say, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I love that idea. You know, I speak to this a lot of always being curious and always wondering more, question more. When I first felt the sense that I wanted to teach and speak about relationships, it was in my late 20s. uh, So that's over 10 years ago. I was very, you know, I didn't know what that looked like. I just knew that I wanted to. And, you know, of course, what was going on in my mind was, why would anyone listen to me? How could I do that? What, What is the path to doing that? I remember in that experience thinking at first that I wanted to write under a pen name, (laughs) under a different name, because I didn't want the people who I knew who, you know, loved me, um, my close friends, all the people. I didn't want to be judged for what I now wanted to write and speak about. I was afraid to be seen in my most vulnerable, in my deepest passions. And you might be too. It doesn't have to be about pursuing a passion. It could be just making a different life choice, stepping outside the box, breaking the paradigm of what you've been taught. It could be starting a relationship with someone that is seemingly forbidden, you know, depending on what you're taught. And it could be choosing an identity that was seemingly or an opinion or leaving a relationship. It could be so many because the box you were taught to fit in is different than the box I was taught to fit in and the box anyone else was taught to fit in. And that's the uniqueness of it, right? Is there's, we all have our own authentic inner self-expression that is yearning to come out. And we all have different unconscious prisons that have been built around us. And so our battles based on what we've inherited um, and based on what we've experienced our battles are different, but the struggle is, the, is similar in that it's the struggle to break free, the struggle to, to break um, the inherited ways of being. And it's such a courageous act to step into that, to do that. And so I acknowledge you wherever you're at in your journey for the continued boxes you break and boundaries. Um, I don't want to say boundaries you break because we don't break boundaries around here. We respect motherfucking boundaries. We love boundaries, but break the walls and expectations that have been placed upon you as you yearn to give birth to who you actually are and to have conversations that enliven you and maybe scare you a little bit. And you continue to stretch yourself 
I was drawn to the guest today's work because he inspired me with his authentic self-expression, his zero fucks attitude. He's a New York Times bestseller. He's a tremendous, tremendous writer. And I was honored to be able to interview him today. Before I get into that, um, I have a couple requests. One, wherever you listen to this, please subscribe so that you get notifications of new episodes. Two, uh, please leave a written review and a five-star review. That is so helpful for me. And last but not least, I'm sending you so much love. I hope this finds you in a sense of safety and security and that you know that you are loved and that you're needed. And we're going to get through this. And it's just one foot in front of the other. It's about progress, not perfection. It's, just, it's about being here for each other. And just by listening, you are not alone. We are a community and know that you are loved. So without further ado, here is Mark Manson. Today, I'm excited to have, I mean, I've like fanboyed, if I can even say that, uh, over Mark Manson for years. So I'm so grateful that you're on the podcast today. Welcome. It's good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Man, you know, when I think I've known you far longer than you've known me, which makes me a successful uh, stalker in a lot of ways. <laughs> and <laughs> years ago, I know before we started hitting record, I was telling you that like my intro to your work was one of your earliest, I think it was one of your earliest pieces of writing. Is that right? The Law of Fuck Yes or No? Um, I would say it's one of, it was one of my early hits. Yeah. And it, I mean, it must be one of the most read articles, I would imagine, yeah. of, of all time on the internet. Uh, I mean, that would be nice. It's definitely one of the most read articles that I've ever written, for sure. Well, I'm just going to create that stat. So you're welcome. <laughs> I'll, go, articles, I'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. In Canada. Uh, but yeah, so that article in and of itself, I loved. And the message I really loved from it was this sort of like setting this high standard for your life, that if it isn't a fuck yes, it's a, a fuck no, a hell no. And a lot of the criticism that I've heard of that that sort of space of being is that not everything in life is always going to be a fuck yes. And I believe in, in the experience of that type of conversation is that, of course, it isn't, but it should start that way. Sure. Is that fair? I mean, yeah, it, it's... I get, I, I get, it's funny how a lot of people nitpick that article because yeah. really it's fuck yes or no, it's a tool, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's not the only tool. It's not the, it's, you're not supposed to like run your whole life with, through the fuck yes or no grinder. It's just a tool to have in your back pocket. You know, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're not sure if you should be with somebody, if you should make a career move or a life decision, you know, just try out fuck yes or no and see how it feels. And it's, I've found over the years that it's, it's generally very effective, not always, but generally. And it's often effective in like really funny circumstances. Like my wife and I were, we moved last year and we were like furnishing our new place and uh, we were visiting all these furniture stores and just getting overwhelmed. And, and like the second day I'm like, you know what? We're doing fuck yes or no from now on. Like <laughs> no more like sitting here debating over get this to me? futons for like yeah. an hour straight. It's just like it's fuck yes or no. And and it it immediately made that whole process very enjoyable. It simplified it, you know. So mm, I love that because in the context of I I think for people who never have really ever chosen themselves or never actually made a decision that is a full-bodied yes, they've learned to maybe through their childhood. Uh, uh, settle for much less, learn to not expect people to meet their needs, learn that people not showing up is that's normal and that's love. And it's when you step into that law, that rule, that way of being, it might feel extreme, but I think we often need extremes first. We need to, you know, go from losing yourself to fully choosing yourself to knowing that choosing yourself sometimes involves compromise and a bit of a dance. Yeah. Well, and if normal for you is dysfunctional, then yeah. functional is going to feel extreme, <laughs> you know? Right, uh, right. So self it's, yeah, totally. I, and I, I, I agree. I think a lot of the resistance to it is just, it's just anxiety. You know, it's mm -hmm. people who have never, like you said, fully 
chosen themselves being put, you know, being confronted with that fact and they, they look for ways to avoid it. Or similarly, similarly, uh, you know, a lot of people, they get very, very nervous about saying no or, or rejecting somebody. And, and it also puts that in their face as well. And so it's just, it's an uncomfortable, if you're not good at personal boundaries, fuck yes or no is extremely uncomfortable for you to, to kind of deal with. Yeah, it starts to challenge your sense of self and your sense of worth because to choose something that is a, to say no to a, something that's not a yes, that requires a sense of trust, a sense of letting go, a sense of uncertainty that all of a sudden you're like, wait, I'm going to say no to this poorly average thing or person to open and trust that something else different, more fulfilling exists. Doesn't mean better. Yeah. Yeah, I used to get a lot of emails from people about that article with, you know, and they, they'd be like, I love the article, but, and then they'd have like four paragraphs explaining how, you know, they love this person, but, you know, he lives in a different city and he cheated on them and, uh, you know, his mother hates her and she's like, you know, moving abroad, like all the but, 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 yeah, but. Yeah you know, she loves him. And I, to me, I'm just like, okay, you're clearly like, you're hearing the message. You're just not accepting it, which is, you know, everybody thinks that their case is an exception. Everybody tends to think yes. that, that their struggle is somehow unique. And I think that's, that's one thing that's funny being kind of, I guess, in our professions, which is like, you know, hearing so many people's stories. Like yeah. I, I get thousands and thousands of emails each year from people who think that their relationship problem is completely unique to them, yet I'm sitting there going through my inbox and it's like the same thing, mm. one <laughs> one after another after another. And uh, it's, you know, this stuff isn't really, you know, we, we, we all go through the same thing more or less. Um, and it's just kind of the, it's like the outer wrapping changes, you know, it's like... Mm -hmm it's fundamentally we all suffer the same rejections, the same ambivalence, the same insecurities, but our life circumstances are different and the people involved are different. So we convince ourselves that they're, they're unique. Mm, that's so fascinating to think of like the, you know, we use the term mansplaining when us men apparently try to give some sort of explanation that is seemingly obvious. Um, <laughs> and it's funny that when, uh, People go, because I experience the same thing if I put a video out or a post out that someone goes, but not in my case. No, but mine's different. And I get that yeah. a lot. And what then ends up is like a complete share of someone's story and da, 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 da. And they request that I change my message to accommodate their difference. And I often think to myself, like, of course, life is so gray. It's not always black and white. It's not, you know, the sort of nuances of life are in the gray. And language is, is, um, challenging, you know, language, yeah. especially in the written form is read through the window of the experience of the person. So you could write a sentence that can get experienced many different ways, just based on what someone's looking to read and what someone's looking to validate. And I know that in my experience of that, you know, is, is like, where did this, you know, if you were reading a, or watching a television channel that you didn't like, you changed the channel. And I think we're in this period of time where we're trying to get the content on the channel to change, to make us more comfortable. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Totally. And and I think it's I mean I mean it, it's an interesting thing about the internet in that it's I think when you watch TV or when you watch a movie there's there's kind of this implicit awareness that it's not just you, right? Like there's millions and millions of other people watching this thing. Uh but for some reason when we get on the internet there's this illusion that we're one of the only ones that is hearing this thing or reading this thing or that it's somehow written for us or said for us. And it's, it's a beautiful thing about the internet. Like I think the internet is, is much more intimate and personal for that reason. But, uh, but I get the same thing too. It's, it's people, you know, I'll write a 10 page article and it'll be read by say a half a million people and I'll get, five emails from people saying, you know, I love the article, but this one sentence, 
doesn't make sense because, well, you see my situation, like, mm-hmm. you know, my dad was a truck driver and I moved eight times when I was a kid and blah, 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 blah. And, and I'm like, so, <laughs> you know, like, okay, <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, but you know, it's, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, there's nothing, there's nothing you, they, they, they think it's being written for them, but it's, it's mm-hmm. not like, it's, I'm not, it's, it's more like a movie or a TV show than I think we realize online. And and I think a lot of the reason people get so upset about things online is because of that illusion. Like they think, uh, you know, they get upset that, that they're being, they feel left out of some piece of content or some discussion um, when they're just, you know, for that particular discussion, they happen to be the exception. Yeah, it's interesting that by if the article wrote specifically to the situation, then it validates their situation. But if not, they haven't found some sort of evidence of validation of their struggle or whatever their experience is. It yeah, that's be, our fault. Yeah, right. Like we should bury our information. But where is that line of, you know, for, because I would say to people, like, take what you want, leave what you don't. Like, that's yeah. okay. Take the information that works for you. And if something triggers you, awesome. Look within, you know, it's interesting that we are in a state where we, we don't want the world to trigger us. Like we try to change our environment. So it's non-triggering, which in some senses, I get that that's, you know, from like a trauma-based perspective, obviously that's important, but just that an opinion is different than ours or a thought is different than ours, that we want to change their thought or their opinion to match our world rather than, Hey, maybe I'll experience some level of discomfort that we have different ways of seeing the world, which is really what relational success is about. Isn't it? That two people can have two different worlds. Absolutely. And I think, it's, uh, I, I think there's something about the amount of exposure we have to other ideas too, that, that I think makes this harder for us. Because if you think about it pre-internet days, right? Like you, you pretty much, you're never exposed to more than maybe a dozen or two dozen people on any single day. And most of those people are people that you know, that you're used to, that, share similar lives as you like has similar lifestyles, similar values as you do. So you're not, I think kind of a default human setting is we're not really accustomed to bumping up against contrary ideas or, or contrary values that often. And typically when we do, we're face to face and you can see that the person is a nice person and maybe they're confused or maybe they, you know, there's a misunderstanding or whatever. Um, I think on the internet, like we're just exposed to, to, we're all exposed like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of strangers every single day. We don't know where they're coming from. We don't know if they're well-intentioned or not. We don't know what their values are, what, or, or sometimes even the context of what they're saying. And so as a result, a lot of our interaction online is kind of like filtered through our own projection of the situation. You know, it's like you, it's like walking into a conversation when it, like halfway through a conversation and only hearing the second half and then assuming that they're talking about the thing you care about. Like, I feel like we're constantly doing that all the time on social media and then being that asshole that gets mad at the people talking <laughs> about, about something that we have nothing to do with. So it's just, you know, it's one, it's one, of, it's another theme that I, I write about a lot in my work that, you know, I think, Internet technology, in a nutshell, we have traded quality of communication for quantity of communication. And in some ways, that trade-off is 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 good. Like it's improved our lives in a lot, but um, clearly, in a lot of ways, it's it's not so good. It, it generates a lot more frustration and, and animosity among people. Yeah, we certainly think you know it's much like with television. We think that the television being presented in front of us the news, the whatever, has been curated through an integrity filter. And so someone did the job of being an in integrity and saying, these are, this is true facts or whatever, true lies or whatever the, um, the different thoughts are on it. And then was it Trump said that these are true facts? I forget what his saying was. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is we, we assume that someone has already done that job for us. So we assume that we're reading the truth, which we seem to have also sort of projected onto the internet that the ad that popped up on Facebook, which of course we saw throughout political experiences as being maybe a little misleading. <laughs> and yeah. and we forget that people have their own agendas. We forget 
that people are trying to achieve things. And I think in a lot of ways, we've entrusted another person to be the authority of the information that we're gathering rather than us become the in and choose whether that's valid or that's not. It's interesting that there's been sort of a, maybe we don't from a Maslow's need sort of perspective, depending where you sit in terms of that, um, you don't have enough mental capacity or enough spare time to even consider philosophically whether something's true or not, or even emotionally, even from an identity perspective, religiously, it doesn't matter. I, I think we just get swamped. And, uh, you know, I think back in the day, it was, there was, there was, it was relaxing to kind of just sit down and watch the news and just take it at face value and be like, all right, well, that's how the world's going. You know, it's because we've multiplied the information available online, we see how much uncertainty there is in the world mm -hmm. and how much, how much disagreement there is in the world. You know, it's funny. I have a good friend of mine here in New York, just, he just had an experience where he kind of, he jumped up a bunch of rungs on the ladder in his career path. He jumped up very quickly. So he kind of went from, you know, being moderately successful to actually like being like at a very high level, like working with executives and CEOs and stuff you know, at a number of big companies. And it was funny. I was hanging out with him right around the time this happened. And uh, he had just spent like an entire week with like this one of the like top one of the five biggest companies in the world with like hanging out with like the top VPs and executives and talking about different plans and ideas. And he had just come back and it was kind of this amazing life experience for him. It was all very new. And, uh, I, I asked him, I was like, how was it? Like, you know, what, what was it like? And, and he started telling me like that basically it's just everybody he, he works with every, like all the top level people he meets, he keeps expecting them to be the ones who are like, the master geniuses who have it all figured out, you know, and are kind of like directing yeah. the world behind the scenes. And he said every single time they have no fucking clue what they're talking about, you know? And he, I think the, the phrase he used with me is he said, it's, it's idiots all the way down. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> nobody, nobody at any level in any field, like really knows what, what's going on. Everybody's just guessing. And to him, it was actually like a very depressing realization. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think he had kind of like let it, down of the expectation. It, yeah. Like he had kind of had his hopes that like, okay, well, these are like the masters of the universe who like have it all figured out. And sure enough, he gets there and he's like, no, no, they're just a little bit older, a little bit smarter, just as, just as confused as the rest of us. I think that's a beautiful space to finally recognize is like all these people that we pedestal are just people trying to figure it out. They might just be a little more open about what they're learning. They might actually think about what they're learning rather than and share that rather than continuing the same patterns of mistakes over and over again. You know, when I read your writing and you write um, a lot through personal experience, you know, you share a lot of the things you've been through and how it applies, which I love. So thank you for being open about things because you share life experiences that are relatable to the message. And I find that way, then you're, you're not pedestaled in a lot of ways. You're, you're, and this is the way I um, try to, I do my work. I, I try to, is that I'm in the trenches with people. I'm not some master of some experience. I'm just someone who thinks about these things and shares them because I felt like no one was really telling the truth about relationships. I felt like we yeah. don't teach relational education at school. So how, why are people pretending that they know what the fuck they're doing? Cause most people don't. Yeah. It's uh one thing I actively do in my career is I, I, I am any pedestal that shows up underneath me. I'm, I am actively hacking away at it with an ax. I even explicitly write on my website, on my about page, um, you know, don't, I don't have all the answers, figure it out for yourself. Like if, if you don't like, you should, you shouldn't like everything I say, because if you did, then like, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and in the context of relationship stuff, I mean, it's an interesting, how old are you, by the way? I'm 41. 41. So I'm 36. Like, I feel like I look at the generation previous to us, you know, so if you look at kind of the self-help industry or personal growth industry, the people I grew up with that like the books I read and when I was in my teens and early twenties and stuff like that whole generation from the eighties and nineties, it was very, in my opinion, it was a very like rosy 
you know, rainbows and unicorns type of vision of like, you know, <laughs> do these five things and you will be happy forever. And, and yeah. anybody can be extraordinary, you know, just all you have to do is this. And I, I feel like our generation, like the, this generation that has come up in its wake has been very disillusioned by that. And because it's, and it, it also, there are a lot, I think there's a lot of like, ethical issues of being a person who claims that they have everything figured out, especially in this day and age, you know, right. like if anybody who claims they have it all figured out, the internet is going to prove you wrong, like three times before Sunday. So, um, I think the, the only way to be in this space at all with any integrity is, is to do what you just said, just be like, look, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a, another guy with the same questions as you, I'm just going to try to answer them very publicly. And by the way, I'm not going to get it right all the time. Uh, I still screw these things up and that's okay. Like that's just part of being alive. Do you ever write anything um, and you publish it and all of a sudden you receive like, I mean, you're probably really good at understanding the nuances of triggers now, (laughs) but in the, context where you like come out with an idea and maybe you just didn't get the right words in the right order because it's never been said before, you know, new concept, new thought, new way of organizing things. Do you ever get just like the massive backlash that reorganizes how you think about it or or changes conceptually what you've put out? Or do you pre, like, do you already put it through a test before? That happens occasionally. And it definitely happened more years ago, you know, Mm -hmm. back when I was I'd say like the first four or five years that I was I was writing online. The thing it does my my chain my my sorry my thoughts have been affected through like reader response and there have I I'm trying to think of a specific example but there have definitely been like probably two or three times in my career where I wrote something and then so many people were like dude you're you're like off base here that I'm like okay I should reevaluate what I'm mm-hmm. considering. Um, and then I've gone back and kind of been like, Hey, I was wrong about this. I, I think typically these days when it happens, it's, it's a much more minor thing. And I think that's, that's for a few reasons. One is just at this point, I've been writing about this shit for like 12 years. So mm-hmm. at a certain point, you know, human relationships have not changed much at all in like millennium, in <laughs> multiple millennia, much less in the last 12 years. So it's, it's uh there are very few questions um uh, in some of these domains that like I've not heard fifty times already, but I think too it's it's generally I'm trying to write my audience is so broad and diverse at this point yeah. that you kind of have to seek out the most common principles and general principles, you know, so it's like early in my career, most of because I was a twenty twenty something year old straight dude you know, most of my writing was based around being a 20 year old straight dude who was single. And, yeah. uh, you know, as time has gone on and married people read me, LGBT people read me, um, people from different cultures read me, women read me, you know, it, it's, I've had to alter my, my writing in a lot of ways, um, to kind of be more generally applicable and, and more conscientious of, uh, who the audience is. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I knew in my earliest writing, uh, when I would say the world was just not as sensitive, um, but I'd say it also not holding people as accountable to the privilege. Yeah. Uh, that's when I, I mean, I had a title on an article that I called it, uh, uh, maybe life isn't about getting money and bitches. And that was actually what a guy <laughs> said to me when I was in high school. That was like, he said, life is about doing that. And I was like, no, yeah. it's not. But then when I got heartbroken, I started to admire his pot- potential thought process that he'd figured it out because he was seemingly happy. Um, and I was heartbroken from trying to <laughs> pursue love. And I wrote an article about that like pursuit being a failure, that me thinking that that's where life was found. Um and then I, you know, I received a lot of feedback once when I, well, I receive it all the time. But when I, I had an, another article do really well, someone went <laughs> and read through all my articles. And then, you know, it's very fascinating, right? Because then it's like, you're actually a misogynistic prick. And it's evident yeah. because of this title. And I'm like, no, that's just my privileged straight male brain 
patriarchally programmed didn't think of that title then. And I also was, if you read the article, you see that the title where it comes from. And I mean, isn't it beautiful to offer people the opportunity to grow? <laughs> like if you go back to yeah. what I said in 1994 with a group of friends in a locker room to what I would say now, it's very different because I've learned and building more knowledge and awareness. Yeah, it's so that I can relate a lot to that because it's some of the stuff I wrote in like the 2009 to 2012 period, you know, it, it was not very sensitive to those sorts of issues. And it was, and back then, you know, it was like 90% of my readership was male. So it was, totally it was, yeah. it was like dudes talking and, uh, it's, it's an interesting experience. Cause on the one hand, I agree with you. Like I, I do think all these cultural shifts around this are in, incredibly important and sure they weren't always fun to learn. And, uh, and I definitely think I got the same thing. You know, I got people like digging through my archive from like nine years ago and finding one single word I said in 2010 and like, you know, just like smearing it all over Twitter. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's excessive. Like, yeah. I don't need to be lynched over, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, I, I was your typical, like kind of clueless, you know, straight it white dude in, yeah. in 2010. And, and it's like times change, culture changes, people learn. But I, I'm kind of, I, I, at some point I would like to write about this shift. I'm actually kind of, because I feel like we went from, you know, things were too, too much kind of the old way, uh, like the, the misogynistic way. Um, and then I think things started adjusting and they adjusted very well. And then I think there was kind of a brief period of overcorrection. I don't know about you, but like, I, I got a lot of, and I still occasionally it's it's been less the last year or so, but there were a couple of years there that I, I would just get a lot of emails from from people, you know, usually in the, like the radical left, implying a bunch of things about me that that were just absurd, you know, um, basically just being kind of PC police. On yeah, me. I agree. That became a very um, yeah. I mean, there was so much, there's so much of that, like virtue signaling that occurs. Totally. Like, hey, watch what I stand for. Everybody notice my values. And my friend uh, would call it, you know, it's sort of like a way of humble bragging, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. It, and I also think it, there was a little bit of a, you know, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail type mm -hmm. thing. You know, it, it's people start digging up paragraphs and sentences that I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like telling me that I'm supporting fascism and shit. And I'm like, this is an article about like happiness. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> um, you know, so I, I, I think there was like an overcorrection for a while. And then I think, you know, now things seem to be dying down a little bit. And, and I, I feel like it'll be an interesting thing it's something I would like to write about at one point, kind of once, once the culture is settled into this new place of where we all kind of agree what's appropriate to say and what's not, and you know, what's sexist and what's not, you know, to kind of look back on this period and talk about how weird and difficult and also important it was to navigate it, especially as, um, you know, as men trying to yeah. figure it out trying to figure out like what is the what is do you want us to be emotional and open and conscientious and then when we are are we seen as sensitive soft and not trustworthy you know like there's all these different i think men are really trying to figure out when the news if it's not being curated if it's if you're a 12 year old boy right now and you're watching the news and you're hearing that men are rapists and murderers and um you very much fear like even uh empowered and and which is why we need to teach it, but like empower connection to your sexuality, to your energy, yeah. to all those things. It's such a, it's a fascinating time to be alive for sure, where these conversations are happening. And, and in a lot of ways, we have the privilege of being on the forefront of them. Yeah. It was funny because I, I, a number of my guy friends were single or still are single, but they've been single through this. And I, and I noticed too with them that they, you know, they started coming to me and being like, dude, I don't know what's like, what's appropriate anymore on a date like i don't know what i should text a girl and what i shouldn't you know it's there was a lot of uh um a lot of guys who were like they wanted to do the right thing but they just had no idea what it was you know and it, it's it, if for a while it felt like anything was wrong or or partic pot potentially threatening and so 
I think the morning show does a really good job of taking on all those conversations. Have you seen that on Apple? Oh, it was great. It was, it was great. fantastic. Just like they went for it. And I was like, yeah. that is so brave to take on all these conversations, all these different aspects of it. The, um, the actors in that were just phenomenal. Um, they were. And what I loved about it too, is that it, it uh, they were three dimensional characters, right? Like it's not, like I love, I'm not going to spoil too much, but I love how it's like, you know, in the first episode or two, it's you. this guy's fired for sexual harassment and he just looks like the biggest asshole and yeah. total narcissist. But as the show goes on, you like find out like he's not a bad guy. Like he just, he's just kind of clueless. Like he doesn't, and he's got problems and he's got emotional problems and yeah. he's just, he's out of touch about some things, you know, he didn't really mean, and I, I like how it showed that, you know, not necessarily all women thought what he did was wrong and not all women, you know, uh, thought he was a predator. And it, it was, it was super interesting. Especially because that subject in and of itself is so triggering because everyone has different experiences of, of maybe di many different angles of, of scenarios like that. So I was really impressed at how they took all of that on with different perspectives and different opinions, as you're saying. The interesting thing about cancel culture, you know, this idea that you like find something that Mark Manson wrote in 2009 and all of a sudden you're like, Mark Manson sucks. I never want to read anything of his again. <laughs> And, and I, what I love about seeing the evolution of anyone's writing or work or art or who they are is that it shows that they're learning through their experience. And I think when we don't hold space for who someone was, again, people should be held accountable for the things that they've never been held accountable for. But when we don't hold space for just change, I think it's in a lot of ways because we don't hold space and compassion for who we were, like our own skeleton that might be in our own closet. We've actually yeah. never brought forward with love and compassion. So we go after other people's skeletons, which is, again, people should be held accountable for the skeletons that are have never been held. But I think in that sense, it's like we we all have mistakes. We all have said the wrong thing. We've all done yeah. the wrong thing. And as you were saying, human relationships, I mean, dysfunction doesn't it only has so many disguises, you know, there's not that much yeah. diversity to human relational challenges. And I know um, you, I mean, you've written a lot about relationships. Your boundaries article is fantastic. I always love that. I send that yeah. to people when I work with them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I love your books, The Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I, I loved the article and then I loved that it became this more expanded um, vision. And more recently I saw that you put out on Audible, uh, um, sort of, is it, would it be called like a book series or a mini series or? Uh, it's funny cause Amazon is like very specific. Uh, it's supposed to be called an audible original, but it's basically kind of like a podcast series or audio book. It's, it's about seven to eight hours long and it's, it's kind of, I would call it like an audio book, but it's interactive. I, I interview people and talk to people in the studio. Oh, that's awesome. And it's in the context of relationships. So yeah. What did what was it set up like? What kind of people did you get? Amazon came to me, you know, so Amazon is just trying to take over the world. And so one thing <laughs> that they're doing right now is they're coming to like really popular self-help authors and um they're offering to they they want to they, they want to have these authors make original content just on Audible, the the audiobook streaming service. So they came to me and they they you know, they uh they said, we, you know, we want you to do the kind of the, the typical format was uh, they would take self-help authors who their books did really well. And then they would put them in a studio and then have them like coach people and then record it and then put that out. And so they came to me and, and, and wanted to do the same thing. And I said, well, the only way I, I would really want to do that is because I, I think the whole idea of like, you know, you sit down with somebody for an hour and then like, boom, life changed. And, yeah. you know, they, that doesn't really happen. Like <laughs> life is messy and complicated and it takes time. And sometimes you have to repeat something like six times for, for somebody, you know, for them to like really understand it. And so I told him, I said, you know, the only way I would really be interested in doing that is if it, if it was a little bit more realistic, if we did it over an extended period of time and like track the people as we did it. And I told him the other thing I would want to do is not necessarily go for the happy ending because a lot of times resolving an issue, like let's say you have a, like a marriage problem, you know, it, it's like any good marriage counselor will, will say it's success isn't necessarily saving the marriage. Sometimes a divorce can be a success. Yeah. And so 
resolving issues is not necessarily the same thing as a happy ending. Sometimes resolving an issue is actually a very depressing and sad process. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I told him, I said, I I would want to do this over an extended period of time and I would want it to be like very, very authentic. No, we're not going to, you know, make it rosy and, you know, have a big triumphant hero wins at the end. Like we're just going to be very honest and follow these people. And so we did it with five people. We followed them over six months. After I started interviewing people, I decided to do relationship problems for two reasons. One, they're just super, super interesting and dramatic. Yeah, yeah they <laughs> are. Just, and they're relatable and juicy and everyone can Yeah, man. I get it. And we also love other people's shit, don't we? We do, man. Fucking it's, no. it's just, man, did you hear their fighting? Oh, he cheated on her? Oh, I lo- yeah. let's tell everybody. It's, yeah. I mean, it was funny because I, I originally selected a pool of about 20 people that I was thinking about where I kind of did like an interview process with them. And I would, I, I would like sit down and I would talk to like one person and, you know, it was a guy who was like struggling like about a career change. And he's like, well, you know, I've always been in insurance, but like, I'm really thinking about getting my MBA and like doing this, but I'm super nervous. And we talk about it and, you know, we'd have a good conversation or whatever, but it's like, it's kind of dry, you know, like you can't, <laughs> It doesn't really like. like get I'm you thinking like, of moving to finance. Oh, yeah. amazing! Well, oh, there's <laughs> edge of my seat. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, and then the, and then I get on on the phone with with the next person, and it's like a woman who is is uh, in love with a married man and is cheating on her husband and doesn't know if she oh, should leave her husband cooking. or not. Now we're yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, now we're talking, man. Uh, so. Decided on the relationship topic, you know, because of that, it's just juicy and exciting. And then also it's, it is something you can actually kind of resolve. Like you can see progress fairly quickly. Like mm-hmm. you don't, there's some issues that just take years and years and years to work through. Whereas like if you've got like a relationship issue, usually within a few months, something has happened. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, so, it's just ambivalence and indifference. Uh, yeah. Rest up as we don't know what to do. Oh yeah. gosh, I have no idea. But really, we just don't often want to do the hard thing. Yeah. So the final product has five people. It is three women, two men. One of the women is is uh, is lesbian, um, and it's like the problems run the whole gamut. Like they, there's so there is a woman who is who left her husband, is in love with a married man, and left her husband for him. And now wants to break up with him. Doesn't know how to break up with him. Doesn't with know if he's married. Yeah. Like, sure. cause it, it's apparently he's not going to leave his wife for her. And so she doesn't know what to do or like how to end it. Um, oh man, it, nothing worse than being someone's side dish wanting to be the primary, <laughs> but stay in the side dish that's, and then leaving your own primary to get that. And then, yeah. Oh yeah. That's it was gotta uh, be a juicy one. It was pretty rough. Uh, yeah. There was a younger woman who, so she was a, a former kind of drug addict, alcoholic, used to have tons of boyfriends, very dysfunctional relationships. And then as soon as she got clean and kind of got, got her life in order, men were like, men are not interested in her anymore. Like her dating life is just like falling off a cliff. So that was super interesting. And mm-hmm. just from a perspective of like, how do you make sense of that? Like, what is it about her? cleaning up her addiction issues that also apparently ended her dating life or like kind of cut off her relationships, her intimate relationships. Mm. We got a guy who's a, who's a tender addict, real like bit of a, a, a nutball. He, uh, he, <laughs> if he's first listening time, to this, don't worry, you're a good nutball. Oh, he knows. He knows. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a good guy. Uh, he his the first time I talked to him, he was hiding in a hotel room in Mexico. It was his second date with a girl he met on Bumble. He went to Mexico with her and was hiding in the hotel room because the date was not going well, and he didn't want her to know that he was talking to a relationship coach. And and by the way, this whole Mexico trip, he didn't actually like her. He was doing the whole Mexico trip to make his ex-girlfriend jealous. And so that within like two minutes, I'm like, okay, I got to work with this guy. Like, Oh my gosh. Is, yeah. These are the types this, of things that we're like, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. 
Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> like, wow. Okay. You know, it's so hard to see, you know, that saying, it's hard to see the forest when you're in the trees. And it's true when we're in our dysfunction, much like we were talking about earlier, you're trying to say that it's different and it's because you're in it. So you're in the pattern. When you're in the pattern, it's hard to be objective about it. We're also usually in first person. We're only thinking about our own experience, our own emotions. We're often not even thinking about it. We're just experiencing it. We, do, we don't think about our life. We just experience our life. And that's such a different set to get to is to, is to go to that more meta view, looking down at yourself, looking at the other person, looking at how you were shaped, looking at how they were shaped. And it's fascinating to me that one of the ways to get someone back or to influence your ex is to go to Mexico with another person, you know, like that we believe that's actually the best possible choice that we have in that moment. And of course, from the level of awareness that choice is made, it is the best possible choice in that moment. And you wonder, like, I've experienced rock bottoms, rock bottoms that like, the writing was on the wall way before the bottom. Like yeah. as I, the ships were sinking, cause there was more than one. I, I was like, ah, it's not bad. It's not bad enough yet. And you got to wonder, I mean, I would imagine that getting on a call with you for an audible series would be an audible original series yeah. would be not a rock bottom. It'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to, did he rescue himself or is that asking too much? He actually, he, he was one of the ones we made a lot of progress. So that, that was the other interesting thing is that progress looked very different for each person. But he was definitely one that a lot of progress was made. The funny thing about him and, and a, this is just true about a lot of people in general, but like he was an incredibly smart guy, very uh, professionally successful. I mean, mm-hmm. he's one of those people that like every other part of his life is like really well, like really functional and well put together. Mm. And I notice that a lot. Like it's, it's a lot of the people who are most dysfunctional uh, in their, in their intimate relationships are, are incredibly intelligent and they're incredibly successful in other parts of their life. Uh, There's just, there's, it's not even emotional intelligence in general. It's like just this one area that uh, they, they're, perception of reality is just completely distorted like their understanding of what is normal and acceptable is completely off base it's interesting you think of that from like a a hereditary perspective i sort of think of you know we often are successful in other areas of our life as a form of of uh, survival strategy to not pay attention to the very dysfunctional area of our life, our relationships. So we, you know, might get rewarded for success in another area. People might not notice our relational dysfunction. We might escape our dysfunction by being at work or being at school or being a high performer. And one thing I've I've at least noticed within my own experience and within the experience of the people I've uh, worked with is when you when you turn down sort of like what you're willing to settle for in one area, you must turn it down in all areas. Because mm-hmm. you become disassociated from potential. Do you know what I mean? Like if all of a sudden my relationship is so dysfunctional that I'm in a hotel room in that experience that he's in, that I have to turn down what my like, what is possible. Because otherwise I'll experience too much dissonance because I'm just in something that is so painful. Um, but then that also has to trickle in too. It's kind of like you can't numb the bad and expect to hold on to the good. And I I think in that context, it's fascinating to me that because you said, you know, most people, when you notice that are highly dysfunctional or tend to be highly intelligent, well, it requires a lot of unconscious intelligence to stay in very complex systems and dysfunction to justify to justify it to yourself. Yes, you you have to be a master. You got to be smart to make up bullshit that yeah. makes it sound reasonable that you're in Mexico with a girl you just met. Like, <laughs> yeah, like you're gaslighting yourself all the time, which is really yeah. like you have an inner narcissist who's like, nah, it's not that bad. It's them, not you. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know about you, but I remember, you know, I, I, I coached one on one years and years ago, probably like the first five years of my career. And uh, I, I, I noticed that fairly quickly in my career that actually, some of the hardest clients to work with were 
extremely intelligent, like ver- like super super smart people, yeah. uh, because they can they can they're like contortionists. Like they can yes. anything you throw at them, they're gonna wiggle their way out of it with all sorts of like smart sounding reasons and and logic, like things that look like logic on the surface. And uh, yeah, it's difficult. Or it's, even it's, spirituality can dress up in that of like, well, that's not what Jesus said. And that's not what Jesus <laughs> is asking of me. Or that's not what the universe or my crystal or my horoscope or, right? We have so many ways. We just find a way, a language that makes a yeah. listener go, cool. I'm doing a Tony Robbins program right now. Oh, then never mind. You're fine. You'll be good in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. It, it's, uh, it's also one thing I looked for to do this project like you know over the years when i was coaching i i noticed that some people are just more coachable than others yeah. and it's some of it is just personality but i think some of it too is just where they are in their life at that time like a lot of people what i learned and this is kind of one of the reasons why i stopped coaching was that a lot of people think they want coaching but really they just want somebody they want to feel like they're doing something you know, they, yeah. they want to relieve the burden of responsibility and feel like something is being done without actually having to do anything. And mm-hmm. as a coach, that's insanely frustrating because you're basically being paid to tell somebody to do something who's decided a long time ago they're not going to do it. So for, for me, part of the screening process for this project was I, I need to find people who whether good or bad, they're, they're actually going to do something like they're, <laughs> you know, they're going to, they're actually, they're going to go try it at least. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, results be damned. So everybody, everybody that, that we included, uh, in the final product was very active and did see progress of some sort. I would say that we ended up with, I'd say we ended up with three happy endings out of the five. We had three happy endings one kind of neutral ending and then one not so happy ending, but it was progress was still made with the, the unhappy ending, but it was, it was just a very, the progress went to a pretty like deep and, and painful place. Mm-hmm. So I I love how you said at the beginning of, of your, um, of your description of the, uh, the series that, happy that that resolution isn't always contentment it's not always uh elation like resolution is sometimes really painful sometimes it's ending sometimes you know and there's a i think it's more specific to the more recent generations including myself in this uh that that we till we're aware of it we're pretty afraid of our suffering we're pretty afraid of discomfort we don't like um not being fully acknowledged and accepted for who we are. And we put that on outside of us rather than within ourselves. And in the, that's such an important thing for people to understand that, that your solution doesn't mean just puppy dogs and ice cream. Totally. And in the case of, you know, I call it an unhappy ending, but it, you know, it's, it's complicated, right? Like, yeah, it's basically what happened was the person came to me with one problem and through the process of investigating that problem, we discovered that this person had a much deeper, more fundamental problem that they were not aware of or were less aware of. Um, and so that was, that's progress. that was, that, that was the arc. Yeah. Right? Um, so yeah, they didn't get their happy ending, but they got progress nonetheless. How long is each episode? So it's, the stories are interspersed throughout. Oh, uh, it's cool. Seven, okay. Yeah. So it's, we, you, you jump back and forth between people. Um, so it's seven seven chapters, and I think it's seven and a half hours. Oh, right on. Total. Okay, I can't yeah. wait to check it out. Because I would yeah. imagine that's many hours of experience for you cut into seven and a half. Oh, dude, it was... <laughs> I mean, the, the biggest problem... It was a lot of fun to make, but honestly, the biggest problem... We just over-recorded. So we actually... We recorded with eight people, and then we took took the five that we thought would fit best together. But we recorded... All said and done, like we recorded probably 20, 25 hours of raw conversation. And it, yeah, it was like, my God, nobody's going to sit down and listen to 20 hours of this shit. <laughs> we got to do something here. Yeah. Um, so, While maintaining you know, the integrity of the story, which is, I would imagine is incredibly hard. 
Exactly. So yeah, there was a lot, a lot got cut. So you know, each person you get about an hour, hour, hour and a half of each person. What do you find in all of that work and also all the work that you've, I mean, done up until now to go from such a, an array of mostly male readers to male, female, and everything in between? Um, what do you find is the most common relational, or maybe there's three, um, give me however many you want, uh, relational sort of challenges, the most common, the ones that you see? I would say the by far the most common is some form of codependence within the relationship. I mean, codependence, I actually talk about it in Love is Not Enough. There's a chapter about codependence and narcissism and um, how kind of how they go together. But, um, you know, codependence manifests itself in a lot of different ways in different in different relationships. But ultimately, it's just, you know, people who derive their self-worth from their partner. And, you know, to me, I would say up to like 50% of the emails or questions I get is some variety of, of codependence and, or, and, and a, a, a facet of codependence, or I guess like the way codependence kind of displays itself is it was by boundary violations, you know? So it's, yeah. it's either somebody who is not, is letting somebody else dictate their emotions in their life, or it is somebody who is trying to dictate somebody else's emotions in somebody else's life. And either way, it's a codependent dynamic. And, um, and yeah, it's just, it's no bueno. Never, it never turns out well. <laughs> no, it doesn't. You know, not being able to differentiate yourself from another, from an emotional perspective, a belief perspective, a identity perspective. Um, yeah. What else? Uh, so codependent, a lot of times it's, it's just about straight up boundary issues. I'd say that's kind of, if I were to say the big three, I'd say, you know, codependent dynamics in various ways, uh, boundary issues. So, you know, uh, something basic like, uh, my girlfriend hates it when I go out with my buddies. She says, I'm not, I, I shouldn't leave her at home by herself. You know, like that's a boundary issue. Like you, you don't, she doesn't get to decide what you do with your free time. You get to decide, you know, she can tell you that it, it makes her feel lonely or it makes her feel sad. And you can discuss that and come up with solutions or compromise, but she doesn't get to tell you what you do with your free time. And then I'd say the third is just breakup issues, breakup mm -hmm. slash. How do I get back together with this person? Yeah. How do I get back <laughs> together? Like the ever evolving question, isn't it? Oh my, like, God. my God. It's, and it's, it's like, should you, is it actually healthy to do that? Was the relationship good? Can we just, yeah. I have a breakup course and in the course, one of the weeks is about, it's called connecting to the truth. And it's yeah. about doing an actual audit of the truth. Like write out everything you want in a relationship. Now go through and audit the relationships you've had. Do they meet that? Do they not? Do you meet that? Do you not? Um, I find that to be, most people have ignored the truth of their relational experience and then they only hold on to the positives uh but they were so great on wednesdays it's like yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's funny because you know my my first two i had two major serious relationships before my wife and both of them the breakups were very on and on again off again you know so mm -hmm. it's like we got back together and then broke up again and got back together and broke up again like multiple times and uh and it's funny because it, it's both times I went through the experience of when we, when we were together, all I could think about was all the reasons why I didn't want to be with her anymore. And then as soon as we broke up, <laughs> all I could think about were all the great reasons that I was with her. And then, then we get back together. And all I could think about was like all the reasons I wanted to, to break up with her. And it, it's just like, it's like your brain. It's like a uh, half your brain can only be lit at, at a single <laughs> One time. time. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's, I mean, it's, that's when it, uh, like that. So that's a perfect context for the fuck yes or no rule. Yes. Right? Like agreed. it's, it's, uh, if you can even have this question of, should we get back together or not? Then it's no, like if, if it was a good relationship, you wouldn't have broken up nine, you know, nine times out of 10, there are exceptions, agreed. but nine times, nine times out of 10, if it was a good relationship it wouldn't have ended. And, uh, and the other variation on that question that I get all the time, and it's, it's also an easy answer is, is people say, 
when should I try to, to get back with my ex? And my answer is always when you don't want to get back with your ex anymore. <laughs> that's the time where you can make a wholehearted decision. A decision exactly. that's beyond depending on them to remove the pain of the space that they've left. Yeah. You know, and that's a, there's so much growth in that space. And I also agree, you know, when I, when someone asks like, how do I, or should I get back together? I'm like, it shouldn't be go, going backwards. You shouldn't be getting back together. You should be getting together, moving forwards. Like if yes. their growth is bringing you them into your path. But the thing is when you're doing the work and you're actually growing from your breakup, it doesn't matter if it's them or someone else in the future. You just know that the person in the future is a more aligned version. And maybe that's them. But if they're not doing the work, if you got to all of a sudden go into writing a comment on one of our posts or our blogs or whatever and be like, yeah, but not in my case. As soon as you have to go into the justification and explaining, then, you know, you know, I was fine. Like people often make excuses for people who aren't even making them for themselves. Yeah. And when you get into yeah. that state, it's, as you said, no. Well, and, and not to mention that they are, not only are they trying to justify this, but they're justifying it to a random person on the internet that they've never met before. <laughs> so it's like, if you're, if it's that important to you that you're trying to convince this <laughs> random guy on the internet that you don't know that, no, this person is the per is, is the one and only, you know, then it's, yeah, yeah, things are things are in a bad place. <laughs> well, okay, so um my friend, thanks so much for being here today. I'm so happy we got to chat about all of this. Absolutely, man. And um I'm really looking forward to checking out your Audible original. And so where can people find all the things you all your writing, all the things you do? Sure. Uh so markmanson.net is the website. Um full archive, tons of stuff there check it out and um, have two, two books that have, that have done very well. Uh, Subtle art and not giving a fuck. Everything is fucked. A book about hope. I love and it. then the new, the new audible original is, is called love is not enough. Which is also a fantastic article of yours that I really enjoyed. So I'm so happy that um, the things that I've really enjoyed, you've expanded into more further broadening of the thought process. And the fact that love is not enough got into a space where you're showing that in the context of human relationships and we learn through stories. And so I'm so happy yeah. that you're sharing not only your own, but the stories of other people for us to learn. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for being a, um, like a, a guiding light and sort of inspiration within my own experience. And when I first started writing, you were very much, uh, uh, a person that I read and admired and continued to, so thank you for the work that you do because it really inspired um, your voice really inspired me because I wanted to both look at the psychology and the science of things, but have fun along the way and enjoy and yeah. laugh. And I've, what I've really loved about your writing, and I hope that I do it through my work is, is that life is hard and it's challenging, but we have to laugh through it because it's just some of the shit is just too silly. You know, it's like, yeah. how the fuck did this all happen? And what the hell? The complexities require humor and humility, and, and you've done a tremendous job of that. So thank you. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate that. All right. So make sure you go check out Mark's stuff and, um, and that Amazon original. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love. 